Chapter Nine of A Summer in a Canyon, A California Story by Kate Douglas Wiggin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine Round the Campfire. The time before the fire they sat and shortened the delay by pleasing chat. The August days had slipped away one after another, and September was at hand. There was no perceptible change of weather to mark the advent of the new month. The hills were a little browner, the dust a little deeper, the fleas a little nimbler, and the water in the brook a trifle lower. But otherwise Dame Nature did not concern herself with the change of seasons. Inasmuch as she had no old dresses to get rid of, and no new ones to put on for a long time yet. Indeed, she is never very fashionable in this locality and wears very much the same garments throughout the year. Elsie seemed almost as strong as any of the other girls now, and could enter with zest into all their amusements, the appetite of a young bear, the sound dreamless sleep of a baby, and the constant breathing in of the pure life-giving air had made her a new creature. Mrs. Howard and Jack felt, day by day, that a burden of dread was being lifted from their hearts, and Mrs. Howard especially felt that she loved every rock and tree in the canyon. It was a charming morning, and Polly was seated at the dining-room table deep in the preparation of a lesson in reading and pronunciation for Hopyet. Her forehead was creased with many wrinkles of thought, and she bit the end of her lead pencil as if she were engaged in solving some difficult problem. But if that were so, why did the dimples chase each other in and out of her cheeks in such a suspicious fashion? She was a very gentle, a very sedate Polly these latter days, and not only astonished her friends, but surprised herself by her good behavior, her elegant reserve of manner, her patience with Jack, and her abject devotion to Dickie. I'm afraid it won't last, she sighed to herself occasionally. I'm almost too good. That's always the way with me. I must either be so bad that everybody is discouraged, or else so good that I frighten them. Now I catch Belle and Elsie exchanging glances every day, as much as to say, Poor Polly, she will never hold out at this rate. Do you notice that nothing ruffles her, that she is simply angelic? As if I couldn't be angelic for a fortnight. Why, I have often done it for four weeks at a stretch." Marjorie was in the habit of giving Hopyet an English lesson every other day, as he had been very loath to leave his evening school in Santa Barbara and bury himself in a canyon, away from all educational influences. But she had deserted her post for once and gone to ride with Elsie, so that Polly had taken her place, and was evolving an exercise that Hopyet would remember to the latest day of his life. It looked simple enough. One the grass is dry. Two, the fruit is ripe. Three, the chaparral is green. Four, the new road is all right. Five, the bay rum tree is fresh and pretty. But as no Chinaman can pronounce the letter R, it was laboriously rendered thus when the unhappy time of the lesson came. One, the grass is dry. Two, the fruit is light. Three, the chalau is clean. Four, the new low is all lighty. Five, the bay lum tree is fresh and pretty.
Finally, when she attempted to introduce the sentence, Round the rough and rugged rock the ragged rascal ran. Apiet rose hurriedly, remarking, All I tea. I go no more school just now. I lung get lunchy. Belle came running down the path just then, and linking her arm in Polly's, said, Papa has the nicest plan. You know, the boys are so disappointed that Colonel Jackson didn't ask them over to that rodeo at his cattle ranch, though a summer rodeo is only to sort out a fat cattle to sell, and it's not very exciting. But Papa promised to tell them all about the old-fashioned kind some night, and he has just remembered that tomorrow is admission day, September 9, so he proposes a real celebration round the campfire to amuse Elsie. She doesn't know anything about California, even as it is now, and none of us know what it was in the old days. Don't you think it will be fun? Perfectly splendid. And Papa wants us each to contribute something. A picnic, but I don't know anything. That's just what I'm coming to. I have such a bright idea. He said that we might look in any of his books, but Jeff and Jack are at them already and i'd like a surprise now juan capistrano an old vaquero of colonel jackson's is over here he's a wonderful rider papa says that he could ride on a comet if he could get a chance to mount it was he who told the boys that the rodeo was over now i propose that we go and interview pancho and juan and get them to tell us some old california stories they are both as stupid as they can be but they must have had some adventures, I suppose, somewhere, sometime. I'll translate and write the things down for my part, and you and Marjorie can tell them. Lovely! Oh, if we can only get an exciting grisly story so that everyone's blood upon end it will stand, and the hair run cold in their veins. And was Dr. Paul out here when California was admitted into the Union? 1850, wasn't it? of course why my child he was one of the delegates called by general riley the military governor to meet in convention at monterey and make a state constitution that was september too the first day of september eighteen forty nine he went back to the east some time afterwards and stayed ten or fifteen years but he was a real pioneer and forty-niner all the same the next night september ninth was so cool that the campfire was more than ordinarily delightful accordingly they piled on more wood than usual and prepared for a grand blaze it was always built directly in front of the sitting-room tent so that mrs howard and mrs winship could sit there if they liked but the young people preferred to lie lazily on their cushions and saddles under the oak tree a little distance from the blaze the clear red firelight danced and flickered, and the sparks rose into the sombre darkness fantastically, while the ruddy glow made the great oak an enchanted palace, into whose hollow dome they never tired of gazing. When the light streamed highest, the bronze green of the foliage was turned into crimson, and as it died now and then, the stars twinkled brightly through the thousand tiny windows formed by the interlacing branches. Ah, oh, well said the doctor bringing his chinese lounging chair into the circle and lighting his pipe so as to be thoroughly happy and comfortable will you banish distinctions of age and allow me to sit among you this evening 
Certainly, Marjorie said. That's the very point of the celebration. This is admission day, you know, and why shouldn't we admit you? True, and having put myself into a holiday humor by dining off Poncha's dish of guisado, I suppose tonight of all nights we must call beef and onion stew by its local name. I will proceed to business, and we will talk about California. By the way, I shall only conduct the exercises, for I feel rather embarrassed by the fact that I've never killed or been killed by a bear, never been bitten by a tarantula, poisoned by a rattlesnake, assaulted by a stage robber, nor anything of that sort. You have all read my story of crossing the plains. I even did that in a comparatively easy and unheroic fashion. I only wish, my dear girls and boys, that we had with us some of the brave and energetic men and women who made that terrible journey at the risk of their lives. The history of the California Crusaders, the 30,000 or more immigrants who crossed the plains in 48, more than equals the great military expeditions of the Middle Ages in magnitude, peril, and adventure. Some went by way of Santa Fe and along the hills of the Gila, Others, starting from Red River, traversed the Great Stake Desert and went from El Paso del Norte to Sonora. Others went through Mexico, and after spending over a hundred days at sea, ran into San Diego and gave up their vessels. Others landed exhausted with their seven months' passage round the Horn, and some reached the spot on foot after walking the whole length of the California Peninsula. What privations they must have suffered! said mrs howard i never quite realized it why the amount of suffering that was endured in those mountain passes and deserts can never be told in words those who went by the great desert west of the colorado found a stretch of burning salt plains of shifting hills of sand with bones of animals and men scattered along the trails of terrible and ghastly odors rising in the hot air from the bodies of hundreds of mules and human creatures too that lay half buried in the glaring white sand a terrible journey indeed but if any state in the union could be fair enough fertile enough and rich enough to repay such a lavish expenditure of energy and suffering california certainly was and is the one now who can tell us something of the name california you Geoffrey? Geoffrey has crammed, exclaimed Belle maliciously. I believe he's been reading up all day and told Papa what question to ask him. <laughs> I'll pass it on to you if you like, <laughs> laughed Geoffrey. No, you'd never get another that you could answer. Go on. In 1534, one Hernando de Grijalva was sent by Hernando Cortes to discover something or other and it was probably he who then saw the peninsula of california but a quarter of a century before this a romance called splendian had appeared in spain narrating the adventures of an amazonian queen who brought allies from the right hand of the indies to assist the infidels in their attack upon constantinople by the way i forgot to say that she was a pagan this queen of the amazons was called calafia and her kingdom rich in gold and precious stones was named california the writer of the romance derived this name perhaps from caliph a successor of mohammed he says 
know that on the right hand of the indies there is an island named california very close to the terrestrial paradise and it was peopled by black women without any man among them for they lived in the fashion of the amazonia they were of strong and hardy bodies of ardent courage and of great force their island was the strongest in all the world with its steep cliffs and rocky shore their arms were all of gold and so was the harness of the wild beasts which they tamed and rode for in the whole island there was no metal but gold they lived in caves wrought out of the rocks with much labor and they had many ships with which they sailed out to other countries to obtain booty cortez and grijalva believed that they were near the coast of asia for they had no conception of the size of the world nor the vastness of the pacific ocean and as the newly discovered land corresponded with the country described in the romance they named the peninsula california my book said philip declared that the derivation of the name was very uncertain and that it was first bestowed on one of the coast bays by bernal diaz now philip exclaimed marjorie do you suppose we are going to believe that after jeff's lovely story certainly not i only thought i'd permit you to hear both sides i knew of course that you would believe the prettier story of the two girls always do that isn't a pretty story your remark i mean so we won't believe it will we girls asked bell now polly your eyes sparkle as if you couldn't wait another minute your turn next said dr winship i am only afraid that i can't remember my contribution which is really bell's and still more really poncho's for he told it to us and bell translated it and made it into a story we call it a valerio or the mysterious mountain cave begins well exclaimed jack now jack you must be nice remember this is bell's story and she is letting me tell it so that i can bear my share in the entertainment pancho believes every word of it added bell and says that his father told it to him but as i have to change it from bad spanish into good english i don't know whether i've caught the idea exactly oh it will do quite nicely i've no doubt said jack encouragingly we've often heard you do good english into bad spanish and turn and turn about is only fair play don't mind me polly i will be gentle jack if you don't behave yourself i'll send you to bed said elsie and he ducked his head obediently into her lap as polly with her hands clasping her knees and with the firelight dancing over her bright face leaned forward and told the legend of valerio or the mysterious mountain cave a long time ago before the settlement of santa barbara by the whites the mission padres had a great many indians under their control who were known as peons or serfs they were given enough to eat were not molested by the outside indians and were entirely peaceable there were so few mountain passes by which to enter santa barbara that they were easily held and of course the padres were anxious to keep their indians from running away lest they should show the wilder tribes the way to get in and commit depredations these peaceable indians paid tribute to intermediary tribes to hold the passes and do their fighting those about the mission gave corn and cereals and hides 
and the products of the sea and got in exchange pinones pine nuts one of these indians named valerio was a strong brave handsome youth whose haughty spirit revolted at his servitude and after seeking an opportunity for many weeks he finally escaped to the santa inez mountains where he found a cave in which he hid himself drawing himself up by a rope and taking it in after him the indians had unlimited belief in valerio's mysterious and wonderful powers pancho says that he could make himself invisible at will that locks and keys were powerless against him and that no one could hinder his taking money horses or food all sorts of things disappeared mysteriously by day and by night and the robberies were one and all laid to the door of valerio but after a while valerio grew lonely in his mountain retreat he longed for human companionship and at length becoming desperate he descended on the mission settlement and kidnapped a young indian boy named chito took him to his cave and admitted him into his wild and lawless life but chito was not contented he liked home and comfortable slavery better than the new strange life so he seized the first opportunity and being a bright daring little lad and fleet of foot he escaped and made his way to the mission arriving there he told wonderful stories of valerio and his life how his marvellous white mare seemed to fly rather than gallop and leaped from rock to rock like a chamois and how they lived upon wheat bread cheeses wine and other delicacies instead of the coarse fare of the indians he told them the location of the cave and described the way thither so the alcade he was the mayor or judge you know elsie got out the troops with their muskets and the padres gathered the mission indians with their bows and arrows and they all started in pursuit of the outlaw among the troops were two hechiceros wizards or medicine men whose bowed shoulders and grizzlied beards showed them to be men of many years and much wisdom when asked to give their advice they declared that valerio could not be killed by any ordinary weapons but that special means must be used to be of any avail against his supernatural powers accordingly one of the hechiceros broke off the head of his arrow cast a charm over it and predicted that this would deal the fatal blow the party started out with chito as a guide and after many miles of wearisome travel up rugged mountain sides and over steep and almost impassable mountain trails they paused at the base of a cliff and saw far up the height the mouth of valerio's cave and what more valerio himself sitting in the doorway fast asleep alas he had been drinking too heavily of his stolen wine or he would never have so exposed himself to the enemy they fired a volley at him one shot only took effect and even this would not have been possible save that the spell was not upon him because of his sleep but the one shot woke him and half rising he staggered and fell from the mouth of the cave to a ledge of rocks beneath he sprang to his feet in a second and ran like a deer toward a tree where his white mare was fastened they fired another volley but though the shots flew in every direction 
valerio passed on unharmed but just as he was disappearing from view the hechiceros raised his bow and the headless arrow whizzed through space and pierced him through the heart they clambered up the cliffs with shouts of triumph and surrounded him on every side but poor valerio had surrendered to a more powerful enemy than they wonderful to relate he still breathed though the wound should have been instantly fatal they lifted him from the ground and tied him on his snow-white mare his long hair reaching almost to the ground his handsome face as pale as death the blood trickling from his wound but the mysterious power that he possessed seemed to keep him alive in spite of his suffering finally one of the hechiceros decided that the spell lay in the buckskin cord that he wore around his throat a rough sort of necklace hung with bear's claws and snake rattles and that he never would die until the magic cord was cut this after some consultation was done valerio drew his last breath as it parted asunder and they bore his dead body home in triumph to the mission but he is not forgotten stories are still told of his wonderful deeds and people still go in search of money that he is supposed to have hidden in his cave the mexican women who tell suertes or fortunes describe the location of the money but as soon as any one reaches the cave he is warned away by a little old man who stands in the door and protects the buried treasure an indian lad who was riding over the hills one day with his horse and his dogs dismounted to search for his moccasin when he suddenly noticed that the dogs had chased something into a cave in the rocks he followed and peering into the darkness saw two gleaming eyes he thrust his knife between them but struck the air and though he had been standing directly in front of the opening so that nothing could have passed him yet he heard the clatter of hoofs and the tinkle of spurs and turning saw a mysterious horseman whose pale face and streaming hair melted into the mountain mist as it floated down from the purple santa inez peaks into the lap of the vine-covered foothills below End of chapter nine